0: Here's Chapter 3 of The Song of Benjamin. Four years slipped by. Agnes celebrated her 76th birthday. Her sister June had passed away the year before. She did not feel much like celebrating anything. Growing old is not for the timid. Some days she thought she'd like to find whoever said these were the golden years and give a peace of her mind. B.J. had shot up. At 15 years old, he was just over 6 feet. He was still on the thin side, but he had become a good-looking boy. This was the trouble when it started. Teens seemed to become deranged when they turned 13 or 14. Hormones, rage, and kids who used to be agreeable become disagreeable. They say things that shock their parents. Sometimes grades suffer... Preoccupation with how they look becomes paramount, especially among girls. Kids start dating and doing things parents don't approve of, and parents conveniently forget that they drove their mothers and fathers nuts at this age, too. However, the trouble that kids could get into today was often far worse than generations before because of the prevalence of illegal drugs, prescription drugs, and the absence of religious influence. Thankfully, B.J. had not turned into a monster. He seemed forever grateful towards his grandmother. He was civil and open and talked to her all the time about everything. Perhaps it was because there were only two of them, or maybe he recognized that she was slowing down and needed more care and consideration. He now did the laborious task involved in cooking, such as peeling potatoes and other vegetables, as well as preparatory cooking tasks, so that she did not have to do them. Her arthritis was taking its toll, and he did not want her to suffer pain. B.J. helped his grandmother with laundry, cleaning, vacuuming, and other necessary but mundane jobs. He was helping to carry the load. He'd become a handsome boy, and girls were paying him a lot of attention. Still, he went home right after school to help Agnes. He didn't hang around downtown with the other kids, who were becoming more and more social as the days slipped by. There was a fine old home next to theirs that was occupied by Agnes's dear friend, Helga Sterling. She was two years older than Agnes, and her daughter, Mary, the Green Tree librarian, lived with her. Mary was unmarried. She had left home long enough to get her degree in library science and then return. Her father, served as mayor of Greentree in the 1980s. He had passed away with a heart attack in 1994. Town folk had thought highly of Everett Sterling, and when the local librarian had retired, Mary seemed like the logical choice to take her place. The town council had voted for her on the first ballot. Mary Sterling was something of a stereotype. She looked like a librarian. She rarely smiled and she wore her hair in a tight bun. She dressed in dark suits that were professional looking, wore sensible shoes, and used little makeup. She was soft spoken but firm. Little kids liked her because she was an excellent reader during story hour, although she usually assigned the tasks to volunteers. Miss Sterling ran a tight ship at the library. The Council never had anything to complain about. She stayed within her budget, avoided asking for things that were flamboyant or expensive, and did her best to make the patrons and her workers happy. Sadly, more and more libraries were falling in hard times. The ones that did survive had to become media centers with computers, special classes and events, and things to attract people and make them want to visit. Greentree Library was something unusual because it was the largest library in the county and the desire to read in mid-America was still strong, particularly in more rural areas where the Internet, laptops, and cell phones did not yet dominate every waking moment. B.J. worked at the library as a volunteer three afternoons a week after school on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, from 3.30 until 6.30. He restocked shelves, helped at the counter, and did odd jobs to help Ms. Sterling and the other adults. There was a large meeting room near the entrance to the front of the library, where civic groups and other organizations held meetings. Two smaller rooms were located in the rear of the building. One was a study room where people could plug in laptops and use the library's Wi-Fi. It was the way of the world. The second room had high shelves in it that contained old and rare books, first editions, some reference books, and storage files for papers, periodicals, and other stuff. It was usually empty, patrons most often choosing to use the study room. B.J. was returning a book to the second room when he heard sobbing coming from the area behind the shelves that ran through the middle of the room. There was a single window high up that faced the parking lot at the rear of the building. It was a cloudy day, and the light in the room was dim. The overhead fluorescent lights were not turned on. Hello, B.J. said. The sobbing stopped. B.J. walked to the rear of the room and saw Mary Sterling sitting in a chair, holding tissues in her right hand. When he was home and visiting next door, he always called her Mary. In public, he addressed her formally as Miss Sterling. He said, Miss Sterling, it's B.J. Are you all right? Can I help you? At this statement, Mary started sobbing heavily, saying between sobs, Oh, B.J., I wish wish you could help me. No one can help me, no one. I'm so scared, so frightened. B.J. didn't know what to say. There had been very few times that he had seen an adult cry, and he felt totally awkward. Besides, she was a neighbor and a friend of the family not to mention his boss. Finally, he managed, Miss Sterling, Mary, you can talk to me. It's it's BJ. You've known me since I was born. How can I help? Mary Sterling finally got control and stopped sobbing. She looked up at BJ. You're getting very tall, you know that? I'm so sorry. I came in here to get away from everyone. I have to go back and get back to work. Please, BJ, keep this to yourself. It'll pass. I'll be all right. You can go back to your duties. Is there anything you want to talk about? I'm a good listener. No, it's fine. You, you you, get back to work. B.J. was about to insist that he stay with her, but he saw the look on her face, that determined look that said, Don't bother me now. Those who knew the look had been warned. He turned and left the room and went back to his work. When B.J. got home, he found his grandmother, sitting in the parlour, staring silently in the quiet room. She looked up, and B.J. saw that she had been crying. He went to her and said, Grandma, what's wrong? Helga came over for tea this afternoon, and she told me Mary is sick, very sick. B.J. took her hand in his and said, How sick? What's the matter? Please sit down, B.J. I'll explain. B.J. went to a nearby chair and sat down. Mary has cancer. Breast cancer. Stage four. There's no hope. I just got the report last night. It's too advanced to stop it. Radiation and chemotherapy won't fix anything. Just make her so sick she'll wish she was gone. I didn't know what to say to Helga. She's been my friend forever. She comforted me when I lost your grandfather. And I comforted her whenever I died. Marries her whole life. They have very few relatives, and no one close. B.J. was silent for a long minute, and then he said, I found her crying at the library this afternoon, and she wouldn't tell me why, Grandma. I tried to talk to her, but she turned me away. I don't understand why. Dear B.J., she didn't know how to tell you something so terrible. She's known you since you were a baby. She thinks the world of you. It's all right. As a woman, she simply didn't know how she could say something like that to a young man, even one she's known for so long. Mary's a very private person. Everyone has always seen her as so sure, so capable. I... Agnes began to cry softly, and BJ felt tears on his face. They sat together for an hour, neither of them speaking. Dinner had been forgotten. Days slipped by and it became obvious to everyone that Mary Sterling was not well. Finally, the day came when she did not come to work. Her assistant, Rhonda Beretti, called everyone into the meeting room that afternoon and closed the door. Miss Sterling is very ill. There were tears in her eyes. All of the staff looked distressed. I'm afraid she's not expected to recover. If you wish to send her cards, you can bring them here, and I'll see to it that she gets them. We will respect her privacy. I know that many of you like her and think very highly of her. This is going to be very difficult for all of us. We can all show her how we feel about her by by doing our jobs well. I, I, I can't, I can't. She could not finish her sentence and began to cry. The girls and women rushed to comfort her. BJ and two other boys who volunteered at the library stood helplessly looking on. When the meeting ended, everyone went back to work. June arrived and school vacation began. Mary Sterling was near the end. Hospice had been called. She wanted to leave the world in her own home, in her own bedroom. B.J. was in his treehouse. He'd outgrown it now, but he still climbed up and sat with his long legs dangling down, book in hand, to spend a half hour reading in one of his most favorite places in the world. Agnes was looking out the window at B.J. There was no book in his hand today. Even from this distance, she could see his face was sad. Then, as she watched him, he seemed to have arrived at some decision. He climbed down from the tree and walked across the yard and out of her view. B.J. walked over into the sterling's yard. He went up the steps to the porch and knocked gently on the door. A woman in a nurse's uniform answered the door. Yes, may I help you? she asked. I want to see Mary, B.J. said. I'm afraid that's impossible, you see. Is that you, B.J.? Helga Sterling had come from the kitchen. It's all right, Mrs. Drew. It's B.J. He's our neighbor. Come in, B.J., Helga said. B.J. stepped into the hallway. I- I've come to see Mary, Mrs. Sterling. Would, would it be okay? Oh, B.J., I-, I-, I don't think it's a good idea. She's she's not like you remember her. No, I'm, I'm afraid my Mary is has nearly gone. With these words, Mrs. Sterling's tears began. B.J. stood helplessly by for a moment. And then he said, "'I want to see her, please. "'She's been my friend since I was born. "'I want to see her just for a moment.' Helga Sterling's tears slowed, "'but don't expect her to be as you might hope. "'She's unconscious. "'She has a morphine drip. "'It won't be long now. "'You know her room is at the top of the stairs. "'Go ahead, B.J., say goodbye.' B.J. walked to the stairs and mounted them slowly. He opened the door to the bedroom and stepped into the room, closing the door quietly behind him. The woman in the bed bore no resemblance to the woman he remembered. Medical monitors beeped softly, and a metal rack held a bag of morphine. B.J.'s face glowed in the dim light. He stepped closer to the bed and gently sat on the edge to avoid hurting her. Then he began speaking in his young man's voice. Mary, when I was little, you read to me on our porch. You always loved to read. You're such a good reader. You taught me to love reading as much as you do. Books take us wherever we want to go, they bring us wonderful things. I'm going to tell you a story now. Once upon a time, There was a place where everything was perfect. There was no sickness. No one ever hurt. No one ever caught a cold. It was a beautiful place, so beautiful. There was a strange heat in B.J.'s hands. He placed them gently on Mary's right hand, so thin, lying on the sheet. In this place there lived the Master, the Master of all things. B.J. softly continued his story. When he finished, he stood up, bent over, and gently kissed her forehead. He turned, opened the door, and went down the stairs to the foyer. Mrs. Sterling and the nurse were in the living room. Helga looked up. Did she speak to you, B.J.? No, ma'am, I spoke to her, though. Did you tell her goodbye? No, I didn't say goodbye. I told her a story like she did with me when I was little. Dear B.J., that was sweet of you. Thank you for coming to see her. It means so much to me. Please ask Agnes to come over soon. There's not much time. I will, Mrs. Sterling. B.J. went through the front door and down the steps. When he entered the house, he found his grandmother in the kitchen. Agnes looked at him. Did you see her? Yes, Mrs. Sterling wants you to come over. She says there's not much time. Were you able to speak to Mary? Can she talk? Agnes asked. BJ looked at his grandmother for a moment and then said, I told Mary a story like she used to tell me when I was little. Agnes said, What kind of story? I told her a good story. When she told me what she thought was a really good story, she used to call it a keeper, remember? Agnes smiled. I'd forgotten. Mary said that, like catching a big fish and keeping it. What was your keeper about, B.J.? B.J. had started to turn away to go down the hall toward the stairs and up to his room. He turned back and said, it was about keeping Mary. What do you mean? I don't understand, B.J. said. Maybe you'd better get over there. Mrs. Sterling said there's not much time. She might be right. Yes, yes, I'd better hurry, Agnes said, distracted by the thought. I'll set the table when you get back, B.J. added. He made his way to his room. He heard his grandmother go out the front door and down the steps. B.J. lay down on his bed and stared at the ceiling. He felt very sleepy. He fell asleep. Three hours later, Agnes returned to her house, and she mounted the stairs and softly opened the door to BJ's room. He was fast asleep. She stepped lightly over to the bed and covered him with a blanket. She went to her room and got ready for bed. Agnes lay in the darkness. There was not much time left for Mary. She expected the phone to ring at any moment. She fell asleep. In the morning, the phone rang. At a few minutes after eight, it was Helga. They've taken Mary. Oh, I'm so sorry. She's gone then, Agnes said gently. No, something has happened. Oh, Helga what? Mary's better. How could that be? Last night she was as close to the end as I've ever seen anyone. No, she's better. She woke up this morning. She had color in her cheeks. She has no strength, but she was hungry. I called Dr. Wilson, and he ordered an ambulance to come for her. They want to find out what's going on. I will talk to you later. I've got to get to the hospital. The nurse is driving me. I'll phone you when I find out more. Agnes sat down in a kitchen chair. How could Mary be better? It made no sense at all. Hopefully, Helica wasn't in for a terrible disappointment. One week later, Mary Sterling was declared free of cancer. A miracle had occurred. The impossible had happened. When the news was announced, B.J. was playing basketball behind the high school. When he got home, supper was on the table. He said, I wasn't here to help you. I wish you had waited till I got home, Grandma. This is a celebration dinner. We're celebrating the great news. What news? "'Mary is cured. They've never seen anything like it. "'They're building her back up with good food and rehabilitating her muscles. "'She should be home soon. So I cooked your favorites tonight.' "'B.J. smiled at her. "'Fantastic. You mean my meatloaf, mashed potatoes, and green beans?' "'No. They're awesome, but I mean about Mary.' "'Yes, isn't it? Go wash up. We'll eat in a few minutes.' When B.J. left the room, Agnes had a flashback. She remembered the day of the butterflies. She had not thought about that incredible moment for a long time. Apparently, B.J.'s story had been a real keeper after all. She would keep it to herself. Some things were best left unsaid.